Welcome to the Very Curious Herbal. If you've been following online in the Facebook group, Botanica Fabulousness, for those of you who haven't caught up with it yet, you may have seen that my adventures to discover more about Elizabeth Blackwell's story and find nuances to the stories and recipes and historical uses of the plants that she draws in her Curious Herbal have taken me to Aberdeen last week. I um, was invited, incredibly honoured to be invited up by the Elphinstone Institute at Aberdeen University to do um, an interactive performance of The Very Curious Herbal. Whilst I was there, I also took the opportunity to retrace Steps I would have taken as a child when I was born and brought up in Aberdeen as was Elizabeth Blackwell and hopefully maybe my steps followed in some of hers. As I walked around old Aberdeen in the area surrounding the university and then down to St Nicholas's Kirk where she was uh, christened, I wondered if at any point my heels touched a cobble. Elizabeth had once travelled over. I always think that's an interesting way of looking at a place. We don't really know or fully understand rocks, maybe aspects of stones and other materials that we miss with our human-centric look at the world. I kind of feel like the geography of the place may have its own way to tell stories. Maybe not in a way we, we recognise as storytelling at first, but it holds a memory of all the things that have travelled over it, of the buildings that have encroached upon its surface, of the rocks that have been moved and brought onto it, the plants that grow there, the roots entwining through the cobbles. I feel that in some way, in my storytelling world, that each cobble may have a tiny residual cellular memory of all of those people who have passed that way before. A little flight of fancy may be, but as I walked from the university through Crookshank Botanic Gardens, looking at the rue that she talked about, referring to it as uh, good for wild animal bites. And those of you who saw the story, the video, will know that I then went on to discover that um, rue was, well, it's, it plays a role in the legend of the basilisk because if you're attacked, by a basilisk, rue can be one of the ways to resolve any problems you encounter as a result. So we had a little look at rue and, and some of the other plants that she talks about. I know I'm starting to embark in the next few weeks on uh, plants that we associate here in Scotland with Christmas. But um, as I walked down that pathway... I couldn't help but 
go into one of Aberdeen's very, very good Indian restaurants. I'd had the I'd had been in, taken out by the Elphinstone Institute um, the night before uh, for a meal following the performance, which was very lovely of them. And they took me to a, a South Indian restaurant um, where I had an amazing dosa and it was full of, of a very turmeric rich uh, potato based curry and, and a masala chutney and came with all the dips and it was just melt in the mouth delicious. So as I walked back down towards the Kirk the following day, I went in and picked up a few key ingredients uh, as I passed that way. And I thought it tied in quite well with this week's episode because although I am moving on to Christmas plants, I um I thought we'd better start the Christmas festive season off with um something that may help uh, absorb the excesses of the season. Something that the change in our culture, that enrichment that we get from being an island nation where people readily come and share their cooking, their art, their stories. And as a nation, we become so much more diverse and interesting. And there's there's fascinating new things you can find out, new tastes, new experiences. Those new stories for me are really vital and important. And for me, that's as you know, well, is an incredibly important part of the uh, Very Curious Herbal Project because that documentation that Elizabeth does of that period of time when plants are first coming into the country really um, resonates still today. So anyway, I'm walking from Old Aberdeen at the university. Um, you know, her her husband's, Elizabeth's husband's, father was Dean of Marshall College at one point and I'm sure as a, a wealthy um, merchant class family they had who you know whose near relatives were involved and had um, links and connections to the university but this is an area I should have known. Um, King's College is, was, was built before Elizabeth was born it's one of the, the the areas that I know I'm happy to say was definitely there. She would have known when she lived in Aberdeen. And um, so and where am I? <laughs> so I, I walked I walked from the university, this area I should have known. I, I passed um, I, I passed this amazing uh, uh, dosa restaurant we've been to the night before. I collected some ingredients to bring back home. I then went off to St Nicholas's Kirk and had a look through the graveyard for nearest and dearest of Elizabeth. Um, <laughs> and uh, there are Blackwells in the graveyard. I couldn't go into the church. And I didn't talk my way in this time, unlike Chelsea. There was no one kicking around us. Um, but I'm also aware that I will be back in Aberdeen in a couple of months' time. And I will um, I'll go into the, the church then and pick up on the christening side of the story as spring arrives that's my plan um and I thought right well so we're going into 
Um, and there are Fordyces, of course. I mean, Fordyce is a, a major name in Aberdeen, and, and Elizabeth's mother was a Fordyce, Isabel was a Fordyce. And that ties in again with my story. I'll never get to the thing I need to talk about here at this rate. Um, <laughs> honestly, uh, I would love to do that story. Um, at some point, I will share the story of Paul Moore and the Fordyce family and how that relates to Elizabeth. And as a little, as a little special place in my heart because of where Paul Moore is or was. Um, but I better get on with my my Indian and um, Indian story and my my pathway to the festive season. Because today I'm going to share the story of uh, Haldi, turmeric, um, uh, curcumin. As I learn in China, gosh, that was a that was a journey. <laughs> the producer, very lovely producer, I was working with in China, and I spent a whole day walking around Hangzhou trying to find um, turmeric, and silly person that I am. I tried using the Indian name, which is Haldi. I tried using um, the Western description, which is turmeric. Uh, I completely forgot for a few hours anyway, eventually the penny dropped that what I wanted to ask for was the Latin name, curcuma, and that suddenly someone picked up on what it was because although it's it's not obviously the same as the Chinese word for it, there are elements of it that makes sense. Um, so if you, you know, you speak a bit of English, um, and eventually we did track some down in a Chinese apothecary. You'd have thought that's where I'd have looked first, but I didn't. I kept looking in supermarkets. I kept thinking I was, because I needed a huge amount of uh, turmeric powder for a school. Um, I was delivering a workshop with the next day, and that had seemed like the obvious solution. So, um, so used in, in, the UK as we are to being able to walk into any major grocery store or supermarket and find powdered turmeric on the shelves. So commonplace is it, it now in um, Scottish and English, uh, in the United Kingdom, in the cuisine of Great Britain if you like. And that fondness for those warm, spicy flavours started in Elizabeth Blackwell's time, the East India Company was rising and it uh, may popularised those warm, spicy flavours that people had experienced in the Indian subcontinent. And um, the first recipe uh, that I explored the other day um, with turmeric um it was actually much earlier than i had expected i i thought it would be later in the 18th century but actually the first recipe for turmeric that i discovered was uh, as early as uh, about 1750 i think um hannah glass hannah glass wrote uh, in the 1730s she then updated her art of cookery made plain and simple for the first time in 1751. And 1751 was when she introduced a recipe for curry with turmeric. Um, Elizabeth Blackwell mentions that it's 
useful for for helping the jaundice. It provokes urine and um, is good to accelerate the birth. The plant that she draws comes from the garden at Leiden, which I suspect then adds another little aspect to the story that we won't go into today, but if you want to catch up with it, you can join us in the Facebook group, Botanica Fabulousness. Um, so turmeric has started to become popular on this island. The flavours would be unusual, but swiftly rose to become incredibly popular. The story I'm going to tell you dates back even further. And I wonder if it had travelled and might have been heard by Elizabeth. It goes back to nearly about the time of the Vedas. When I first encountered this story, um, I was told it was from the Vedas, but I, I think my uh, exploration of it since then has revealed it's probably contemporaneous with the Vedas and has changed dramatically in its time, no doubt, and has become quite far from its original version. However, I like it the way I tell it because it appeals to all ages. Very young children find this hilarious. Uh, so I think you probably understand as I tell it to you. There was once a Raja. He was an incredibly popular Raja. He was kind and fair, intelligent, warm-hearted, and his family were adored by everyone far and wide. He was married to a a beautiful, warm and practical woman who was friendly to everyone she met, regardless of class. She went out of her way to help anyone she could. And although she was known for being firm, she was also known to be quite, quite fair. The couple had a beautiful daughter, the Princess Jasmine. And... At the time we catch up with them, the Princess Jasmine was reaching the age at which young princesses probably should have been married in this day and age. The Raja and his wife spent long hours debating and assessing the suitors that they thought might be appropriate for their daughter. They went through the details of each and every one closely. But it came to the point where the Queen had to take steps and have a serious word for her, with her husband. You see, although he was a kind, intelligent and caring man, the Raja had, <laughs> how shall I put this, a teensy bit of a problem. He was handsome and kind and well-liked, but it has to be said he was generously proportioned. He was so generously proportioned he had to have a very special throne made for him. His trousers took several tailors rather a long time to adjust and, and make fit exactly. But it really wasn't his size or his rapidly expanding girth that was the reason the Queen felt compelled to take steps and talk seriously to her husband about his health. You see, the Raja's 
corpulence came with an attendant problem. He had incredibly bad wind. He farted through breakfast. He passed gas during lunch. He trumped in the afternoon. He just made the most horrific blasts, sending sulfuric, gaseous smells through every room at dinner time. He had long and exquisite, intricate feasts with fancy food imported from far and wide, and although they were delicious and his chef's skills were commented on, the gas that they caused in the Raja was something else. The Queen decided that if a wedding was going to take place, she was going to have to tell her husband to do something. How can we possibly have any kind of conversation about marrying off the Princess Jasmine if you fart that badly every time you go to sit down? As soon as you bend, as soon as you go to sit, every mouthful you take causes an eruption of gas. The smell is awful. Darling, you're going to have to take steps. Well, the Raja nodded his acquiescence. He knew that it was getting quite bad. He sighed and reluctantly agreed to reduce the number of rich, fatty dishes he chose to eat. And that lasted for a few days. I can't say whether or not his gas got any better and whether he stopped farting, but um, the Queen was satisfied that he was at least trying his best. However, by the end of a week, the Raja was fed up. He went back to his old eating habits and his wind got worse and worse and worse. Eventually, with a number of suitors starting to arrive at the palace and the Queen hoping to talk to prospective in-laws, she said that the Raja must issue a proclamation. A proclamation asking that anyone who had any kind of cure that could offer any insight, any help to the Raja's embarrassing and rather malodorous problem could get an ample reward. The Raja sent out messengers far and wide across the country asking People with a notion of how they could cure his digestive gurgling, ease his horrific smelling farts. And in all in due course, people came from far and wide. Doctors, learned men, healers, magicians. They brought all kinds of wonderful things. They brought snake oil and special stones. They brought oils with which to rub the royal belly. They brought all kinds of remedy in beautiful gilt-encrusted boxes. Each and every one proclaimed his status, covered in rich furs and velvets. They would hand the king a fortune in jewels, telling him to place them on his belly in an intricate pattern and repeat words until the pressure was relieved on the royal digestion. 
each and every thing the king tried, the Raja tried, unfortunately failed to work. The queue didn't diminish for a while. What with the, the promise of potentially the hand of the Princess Jasmine and a fortune in gold and jewels at stake. But eventually, as the months rolled by and nothing had worked and the Raja kept up his horrendous wind and uncomfortable stomach distension, propelling foul-smelling odours throughout the room, fewer and fewer people showed up at the palace door, offering any kind of cure, valuable or otherwise. The situation got worse. It soon got to the point where his advisers started to stay away, deciding to meet in private and, and send written messages to the Raja offering their advice when he needed their help. His wife started to despair. It got to the point where she and the Princess Jasmine could barely stand being in the palace another moment. So bad was the Raja's problem. They decided they would move down to the Garden Palace, a beautiful, beautiful building set in the middle of sumptuous, verdant lawns, beautiful plants climbing up every side, tamarind and pomegranate, beautiful plants brought from far and wide, there they stayed. The scents from the jasmine and the Damascus rose wafting through the window in the place of the Raja's rather more embarrassing and unpleasant scent. The poor Raja sat alone in his palace, barely seeing an advisor or a friend or anyone for day after day queen sat watching as her daughter took to walking through the gardens, learning from the gardeners there all about the plants and the birds, the butterflies, the creatures and the insects that she found. Eventually, the woman went to see her husband and quite lost her temper. Really, you must do something about this. You've tried all kinds of cures, eating all kinds of exotic things you've been given, rubbing in oils and trying all sorts of miraculous things. You haven't tried reducing what you eat. What are we going to do? It was then that there was a tap at the door. No one had been there for months, not offering a cure or an idea or anything. So they were rather surprised to find a somewhat ragged young man stood on the door with a with a basket, a peasant's basket, clutched in his hands. I've come to offer the Raja my idea, he said. My, my grandmother had taught me that if you grind up this root and put it in every meal, that it may help relieve the Raja's problem. The Raja took a look in the bowl. In it were curled, grub-like, yellowy, soil-clad roots. Pah! 
I'm not eating this. Roots are peasants' food. I've had the finest food in the country. I'm fed up. I don't want to try this. And he flung them across the room. At which point the Raji fell into a fury. That's it, she said. I have tried everything. We need to make this palace a working, beautiful place where people visit us once more. Our daughter would love to be married. Our friends haven't been to see us. Please, will you try this one last thing? She'd put her foot down. And as mentioned before, she was a somewhat formidable woman. The Raja sulked and pouted, but eventually agreed that he would give the root a try. The chef was summoned. He ground up the golden yellow root. He added it to the Raja's lassie for breakfast, into soups and dals for lunch, into exotic and beautiful biryanis, dosas from South India, dishes created from every corner of the Raja's kingdom, each one laced with the yellow root. Bit by bit, the Raja's problem eased just a tiny bit just enough for him to only fart as much as the average farty dad no more no less a balance had been found the pain in his stomach gave way and I, I can't promise that he became a, a slim version of his former self but um he was not in so much discomfort, and his friends found him rather more fragrant to be around. But who was the young man that had brought the remedy? When the Raja had been given the root, he'd sent him scurrying out of the palace, <coughs> and no one knew who he was until the Princess Jasmine piped up as the gardener's son, father. She went down into the palace gardens, following the pathways between the jasmine and the ginger, down to where the turmeric grew. There she found the gardener's son, working away, digging things up from in, under the soil. She brought him back to meet her father. The princess and the gardener's son had spent many hours exploring the gardens and she'd learned a great deal about the plants from him. Now her eyes glinted as she looked at the young man and her father was very happy to reward him with gold and jewels beyond his wildest dreams for his insight into how his problem could be relieved. And of course, as all good stories go, the couple were very much in love, the princess and the gardener's boy, and they were married and I'm assured lived happily ever after. The Raja gave turmeric, haldi, curcumin, the honorary name of the Indian solid gold. It's 
incredible effect at easing his painful, windy problem. And as we know, even to this day, turmeric is, is hailed for its ability to relieve inflammation in the digestive system. You traditionally cook um, many pulses, so lentils in dal um, with and, and chickpeas and, and um, things like that with, uh, with turmeric ginger because if you put it in as you're cooking them and you cook them thoroughly, then you know they will help relieve the, the gassy elements of the pulses. And certainly uh, some of the documentation and the research I shared in the, in the Facebook group the other day shows we've been doing extensive research in the UK, um, in hospitals, universities, into um, the potential for turmeric and curcumin, the, the, the constituent in, in turmeric that's seen as being um, the vital force, if you like, the active ingredient. Uh, and we're exploring its use as an anti-inflammatory in the digestive system. It's even got potential, they think, to uh, work um, to uh, relieve cancers. But, you know, that's a, that's a huge stretch and I'm, it's not when I'm, I'm comfortable saying, because I do realise that, that when you are caught up in the middle of that, that um, disease cascade, that it's very easy to go stretching, looking for cures. Um, I do actually think it is massively inflammatory and incredibly useful in all sorts of situations. But as always... I'm only a storyteller, and I think that if you're going to go take something, you probably want to go and consult with someone better able and more insured <laughs> to back up their claims than me. But, you know, there's a secret bit of um, truth in every story, and uh, it's up to you to see which bits of the Rajas tale <laughs> true which bits aren't but i do highly recommend making yourself a delicious fragrant golden turmeric laced curry and um listening to the story again thank you very much for joining me <laughs> bye bye